I want to continue on in a new series and I'm calling it a series because it was just so much I don't even know how to begin with it and uh, what happened was that I've been sensing and seeing and receiving that the anointing for prepare the way has just been a, a flood tide and it's not only that it's a magnet and so I was really seeking the Lord for the understanding to go with the, the revelation and to go with what's happening, the action. And in so doing, in a matter of minutes, it started off for a few minutes and before I knew it, three hours had gone by and uh, I just got, I got decompressed and compressed and recompressed and filled with all of these points about the PTW, the praise, the uh, prepare the way anointing. And uh, so there's no way I can cram it all into one sermon, two sermons, maybe 10 or 20, I don't know, because it just, it just blew me wide open. And I began to pray about that, knowing that you know God's no respecter of persons, and that I'm expecting this to begin to boil and flow out to many parts of the earth as God is moving in this particular moment to prepare the way for the coming of the Messiah. Uh, this, this particular little film flip, I found it, I don't even know how it came to me. Nobody sent it to me, it came up. And I, I don't, by the way, I'm, I'm not one who scours the internet. Uh, I have a Facebook for, for myself, I guess, the ministry, and my wife is my witness. I'm never on it. I don't even know how to go on it. I don't even have a passcode uh, on my email to go on it. So if you send me something on it and you say, wow, he's not responding, you're right. And um, I just don't want to waste my time on there. And it's not that you're a waste of time, but I don't have the time. And I know it becomes addictive and many people are on it. And I'm glad my wife is because she keeps me filled in on things. So it's like I get the trailer of the Facebook all compressed, I said, thank you, and it's all gone. So I don't know how this came up, so I suppose it might just been the Lord encouraging us at this time, but if we could put the lights down, it's of some soldiers, and they're Orthodox soldiers in Gaza, and they're singing a song unto the Lord in battle, and it's real, this is real time. Um, you're going to ask me, what are they saying? Well, I'll try to explain that afterwards. But if we have it, could we let it run, please, a moment? So, it goes on and on, repeating the same thing. And these are Orthodox Jews, or at least they're the Orthodox Jews that are leading uh, that song. And the one in the middle with the beard, uh, you could see there was another one closest to us staying on the binoculars to find the snipers. 
and uh, they were geared and ready, locked and loaded. And I asked several people to help me to decipher it. And uh, I asked Samuel Smajna in Israel, and I asked my son-in-law, and I asked others because I couldn't get it. And we all came to the conclusion that mostly they're mingling Hebrew with Yiddish. Well, Yiddish, if you know, is, it has its almost, it's almost its own language, and uh, it's one of the ways that they preserved the Hebrew language for years, and it comes from uh, up in your eastern countries, and they mixed it with Hebrew, and up came Yiddish. And so I heard Yiddish before I heard Hebrew, and, uh, but this, the only thing we could get out of it was, first of all, uh, it, it's, it's to God, El, and it's shalom, peace, and it sounded like a shadow of your covering. And, and, and then they were over singing over each other. So here we are in a moment that's somewhat jumping out of Scripture to us, where the Lord says, you call upon my mercy in that time and I will save you. And I don't think you could get a more graphic revelation of that than right there. I mean, this is real time. These were people that are, these are soldiers. And one of them uh, was female, and the others were all males. And locked and loaded, and looking for snipers, and sitting there as best they could behind a wall together, real time. And where they found their encouragement was singing unto the Lord. Sing it unto the Lord. Now, I don't want to divert into that, but I want to give you the opposite of that. The opposite of that is that on the other side, the snipers and those who are Hamas or, or even worse, the jihad, Islamic jihad, and, uh, you know, that are fundamental, radical uh, Muslims, they're crying out to Allah. Ali Ali Akbar. And on one side, you have, if you will, a David crying out to the God of Israel. And on the other side, you have terrorists crying out to the God of Goliath. And I think we need to be very clear in our understanding. We're certainly not those who condone and want to see anybody suffer. Not Jew, not Arab, not anybody. But there's consequences. There's consequences when cultures and people align themselves with the, that that is not the real living God. And I shared this with you before, Santo Domingo and Haiti. Same island, you fly over, and the moment you get past the green of Santo Domingo, you come into the barren of Haiti that made a pact with the devil. It's over a century old to be liberated. They can't even fish off their shores. There's not even fish. There's not a stick of wood. There's nothing. It's barren. And it's not because God doesn't love them. It's that God can't bless them because those who bless her are blessed and those who curse her are cursed. It's the Abrahamic covenant. God made this covenant. And God's a covenant keeper. So it's hard for us because we're trying to sort this out. We're trying to sort it out as Christians, as believers. We have our scriptures we, we love. Um, but we need to understand that the kingdom of God has a violent side to it. 
And this is scripture. And we'll get into it in a moment. And we need to understand that there are things moving in the earth right now that the Lord is balancing between his love and his mercy and his grace um, to also bring his justice and his judgment and to prepare the way for the second coming of our Lord. And if we really eat all of our scripture, we understand that he's coming basically if we're going to be frankly speaking, he's coming at the last minute because he said not even those who believe in me, not even the saints would be able to survive if he didn't come. That's a last minute salvation, right? He says you wouldn't even be able to make it if he didn't cut the day short. That's how bad they're going to be. And that's how bad they are. Now there's some who keep waiting for another threshold to cross that, you know, we're going to see clearly now we're into some span of time that some have crunched into a seven-year period, a pre-trib period, a mid-trib period, a post-trib period. All that is is distractions. That's just distractions. And God is God. And he, he, he even tells us no one knows the time. And the son tells us only the father does. How foolish are we to be listening to a whole bunch of other fools telling us about the time and telling us how it's going to happen when God himself says, you don't know, you're not going to know. Good enough for me. But what we do know and what we can know is the revelation of the times we live in, the season that we live in, and what we ought to do with it. So if we believe that we are those people that have been born into this time and place with a purpose to prepare the way for the coming of the Lord, then our time and our efforts and our love for God is much better spent learning and working together to prepare the way for the Lord than it is to try to figure out how to get out of here. And I don't find it as a coincidence that, you know, the great disappearance was released in the last three, four months, right? before this all happened with ads on Fox News and the New York bestseller and people all looking how to disappear and evaporate in the air and leave a bunch of other poor sad stories around to be tortured. Really? Wow, that sounds like God to me. How about you? Does that sound like your God? Whomsoever shall call upon his name. That's my God. He's the God of Israel. He's come to deliver Israel. Those soldiers were crying out for a deliverer. And so are we. So I've been that lone voice in the wilderness for a long time, over 40 years, saying, please get away from all this nonsense and let's focus. But something has changed. We crossed the threshold. And we knew it. We prophesied it. We declared it. But like always, we don't really understand what we're saying. We just know something's happening, and we crossed it together. And on October 7th, we saw it clearly. And it's not going to be the same. And when we cross that threshold, the anointing for the prepare the way was released from heaven above. I know this. I feel this. I see it. It's out of Zechariah where the fountains of David would be released for the spirit of uncleanliness and that's not just a spirit of uncleanliness for Israel. That's a spirit of uncleanliness for the dysfunctional, tattered, soiled 
nasty bride of Christ. I don't know how else to tell you. Our eyes are lying to ourselves if we believe that the bride of Christ is beautiful and white without spot or wrinkle, ready for the Lord to come. Really? Really? When people call themselves by the Lord's name and excuse sin and walk in sin without repentance. And so what we understand is that that clarion call to prepare the way has a lot to do with repentance. And we're going to discuss that a little bit. Now, that's not really a popular message, is it? A whole bunch of people come to church and you want to be told to repent. (laughs) But that's the message that the Lord's given us for ourselves and for the unsaved and the saved alike right now. And that's the same message that he gave an anointing to in the first coming. And that anointing grew for a long time. It didn't just all of a sudden percolate with John the Baptist, although that's when we see it manifesting more on earth. It percolated with Isaiah and Haggai and Zechariah and Malachi. They all got glimpses. They all were calling to repentance, but they were more focused most of the time on the dilemma that Israel was in at that time and how God would have mercy, but there needed to be repentance. But then they got glimpses and they were able to prophesy and foreshadow these days here. And a lot of the things they had to prophesy, some of them were manifest in the first coming of Jesus and some of them weren't because there's a second coming, another coming. Jesus himself said he was coming back. The angel said he was coming back. Revelation tells us he's coming back, but how about we just box in all of this other nonsense we're hearing? Nowhere in the scriptures does it say he's coming three times. Show me where it is. But yet we buy into it. He's coming one and a half on the half minute time before the second half, and there's going to be a take it away and Then there's another coming. No, no, that's not what the Word of God says. It's enough for us to know He's coming back. And it's enough for us to know that we're living and breathing. If we accept that, and if we receive revelation and open our heart, we will see it. Now, you know, it says that there's a scripture that tells us clearly that the invisible things are made manifest to us. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead. That's Romans 1.20. What that says to us is that we have the capacity and the ability to see the invisible things. Now, what separated the prophets of old from you today is that they had that special call and that special anointing, and some of it, it wasn't always. They were just normal people, right? It says John was filled with the Spirit from when he was born, but John grew like a little baby. John soiled his diapers like every other baby. John needed some correction from Elizabeth and his father, just like anybody else. John had to be raised up. No doubt a very strange kid, but he had to be raised up. 
very strange family. You got John the Baptist and then you got Jesus. Go figure that play date. God knows what they were doing or playing with each other. I'd like to see that one. But bottom line is real people. Jesus came in the flesh. And the spirit that denies that is the spirit of the Antichrist. That's because we understand this is real and the invisible things manifest. And so right now our, our challenge, but our opportunity is to see. And the way that is being called in Scripture, like Isaiah says, I saw him high and lifted up. And the other ones that saw, that Hebrew word is chazah. And chazah means to be able to see through what you don't see. It means to be able to see beyond into something else. Now, I don't know about you, but those moments that come, and I'm not talking about just a vision, and I'm certainly not talking about becoming one of those elite people that say they go back and forth to heaven almost every week. God bless them. I'd feel better if they stayed there the next time they went and didn't come back and tell us how they've been there 15, 13, 20 times. Really? Do we really need that? Do we really need to go to heaven to prove who we are, to see what we are? To me, you see, Paul, when the Lord took him, he only says one time, he waited 14 years until he shared it. He didn't come back down and go on television and say, oh, I need a new airplane, God took me to heaven last week. The 14th time, the 15th time, the 20th. He waited 14 years because he feared God so much and he said, I can't even speak the things that I saw. And we discussed, why did God do that? God did that to give him the foundation and the faith to be able to bring us the Pauline epistles because those are wild. Those have to be of God or you simply don't share them if you fear God. I mean, they are, they are literally the mind of God coming out on on, on scripture and nobody was more profound than Paul other than Jesus himself and yet he had all of that background so for us you see we are equipped to chazah to see but it's it's like it's not in our hand we have to reach out and get it we have to strive for it now I've I personally believe, and no one's going to shake me from that, that each and every one of you and all of us who shall and will have been called from the beginning of time for such a time as this. I purposely, I firmly believe that you will never convince me of anything else. We have the opportunity to accept Christ. We accept Christ. We are accepting Christ for this time and this place. For what? His purpose. His purpose. And it comes back to what he said in Matthew 5, 22. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then he'll add everything else unto us. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. That means that if we're really sold out, like we sang, here I am, Lord. If we're really sold out, everything we do, live and breathe, is to seek the kingdom of God first. And then he'll supply everything else. That is the inverse of what the world teaches, isn't it? Go get what you want. Unfortunately, that's also so ground into the body of Christ with everything from prosperity messages that lost the faith of what it was 
to all kind of issues, even frustrating grace, all kind of things that, that have strayed away from that focal point. Seek first the kingdom of God. There was a shift in my life. It sort of had to do with me and my family and those who were with me. We sort of have a tribe that follows each other. The Lord spoke, and I'll never forget it. I'm not going to go through that now. It was over the Atlantic and told me to come here, and at the same time, 3,000 miles away, he spoke it to my wife, and together, when we came together, we knew we were supposed to come here and to rebuild. The fallen walls, roof, and everything was destroyed in this church. It wasn't even a church anymore. It was totally condemned, and they wanted it raised down, and there were realtors looking to buy it. Even Youngstown State wanted to buy it for the property. And in that moment, it didn't make sense. It made no sense whatsoever because we'd held title to this for all those years and never understood. But you see, everything has its time and its point. And I believe we go through testings. And I believe part of our personal testing was to come out of South Florida in a huge ministry with thousands of people and to come back home and to wait on the Lord. And so I get a little emotional, but at the same time I get so excited because I knew there was a reason to wait and I have to tell you, so many times I wanted to throw the towel in. So many times I'd get a phone call. If you just come, Tampa, Clearwater, Texas, just come. We'll start a church. We have all the funding behind you. Just come. Just come. And No, I'm here. I don't know why I'm here, but I'm here. But I know why I'm here, but I don't know why I'm here. And then we cross the threshold. And I knew something was opening, but I had no idea that this was the time for the prepare the way anointing to flow out. And now I know that I know that I know that I know. And this is a magnet. And it's not only a magnet, it's highly explosive. Very explosive. I wrote to you, and if you're new and you haven't, done this before, please sign up and get the emails. I don't send too many of them from me. You get one a week, typically from me, and then you'll get some other announcements, but that's it. But I wrote, and I always try to seek the Lord, and sometimes it doesn't work to what we're going to get. And how I wrote is this. I sought the Lord to reveal the mystery of the prepare the way anointing and the fountain of heaven open, pouring into my spirit. Would I liken unto an end times Magna Carta of revelations for real time prepare the way warriors, worshipers, and watchmen? That was first announced when POTA Shield was formed on November 8, 2017, and all of the prophecies went to it, every one of them fulfilled. Crazy prophecies. All of them made from here and in here. 
48 hours on my face in this place receiving the download of the Lord. But you see, everything has its time and its season, and now that's transformed into prepare the way. And I said I'm so excited to share this mystery that I can't contain my excitement. And so as I was pondering this, a scripture came to me out of Matthew chapter 11, verse 12, if we could put that up, please. Matthew chapter 11, verse 12. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. That word suffer is a very bad interpretation that comes out of the Greek that means that it produces, it requires, that what comes with it is violence. And the violent take it by force. Let's think about that a moment. Just ponder that a minute. So as I was praying about this, what I received was a little urging to go back and just see what nitroglycerin is all about. <laughs> and so I wrote to you, and I said, so how is nitroglycerin? And I gave the formula, which is C3, you know, the little 3H, little 5, O-N, O, little 2, squared. That's the formula for the chemists and biologists that are here. And I said, how does nitroglycerin and the prepare the way anointing alike when it comes to being violently explosive? And I put prepare the way and then little one, three, seven. Now we can understand what makes up nitroglycerin. It's a whole bunch of, it's a whole bunch of, of, of oxygen mixed with the nitro and all the stuff that comes up with it. I don't need to be a chemist and go into it. I really don't care. You probably don't either. But this I know is that it was an Italian fellow back in the 1840s that first discovered it. But then it took, it took Alfred to come along and determine how to make it useful because you couldn't contain it. You see, it, it expands couple thousand times the gas area that it is all of a sudden. And if not handled properly, it's very volatile. You shake it, it could blow up. You don't treat it right. If the temperature changes, it could blow up. It's very, very sensitive. And it's very powerful when it's perfectly, and I use the word perfectly, taken care of and administered with caution. And this is a propellant used for rockets and missiles and dynamite and all kind of things. Explosive power. In it, we understand is the power to shape and reshape and destroy things in a flash of an eye. Now, I grew up on a small farm and worked a lot with my namesake, my grandfather, who was Frank Media. Frank John, Fiorino, and uh, Grandpa Fiorino came over as an immigrant when he was five years old by himself, 
and made his way through New York into Western PA. And uh, he became what they called indenture servants then, but it was slaves. They give them a nickel a day and they got to stay on the, uh, in the company houses or a room and then they gave them food and they were always spending more each day than they were making. And uh, he started in the coal mine and I guess he figured there was a better way to, to find a living or to do something than to just shovel coal and work with his back the whole time. He was a mammoth fellow, strong. And he learned to become a, an expert in dynamite. And so I grew up around dynamite. If we needed to move a tree or roots, you know, Grandpa go a quarter stick, a half stick, put it in just in the right place, and then he'd say, look at this, and he'd tell me in his accent, and he'd go walking over somewhere, and he'd put a spot in the ground, a stick, and he'd go, ha, and he'd light it, boom, that thing would end up where the stick was. I never learned how to do that. <laughs> but it had the power, and he'd see it first, and then he used the skills God gave him, and that dynamite would explode and accomplish what it would have taken he and I weeks to do with our backs, moving stone or moving tree trunks in a flash. That's the anointing. Come on now. That's the PTW anointing that's being unleashed on the earth right now. But we need to be skillful. And we need to know how to use what we get. And we need to believe that it will accomplish what God has sent it forth to do. So PTW formula, you know, I figured, well, nitroglycerin had its formula. What's the formula? And as I prayed more about it, I got PTW, little one, little three, little seven. I said, ah. First I thought seven, 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 but you see, that was flesh. Because that was always my number, playing athletics, everything. I always, I'd fight people to get that number seven. I'd fight a varsity person to get number seven. I'd say, you want to fight? The winner gets seven, because I wanted seven so bad. So that was flesh. But 137 wasn't flesh. John 17, I pray, Father, that they be one, even as we are one. You and me, me and you. And that the world know that you have sent me. That's one. And you see, the mathematical goal of the kingdom of heaven is to reduce everything to one. It's the exact opposite of the multiplication of procreation. Because when it's reduced to one, come on now, it's not procreation, it's new creation. There's a difference. Procreation, let every kind bring forth its own kind, and that transfers over to creation, but procreation means whatever it is is supposed to procreate itself. It's just like the weapon that's made. Something's put into position. It's not really creation, but it is. But when it's reduced to one, which is the Lord and us and us and the Lord, that's new creation, and you're a new creature. And so to prepare the way, you've got to be a new creature. And that means that those who are in the bride of Christ need to be new people. And you can't mix old with new. I mean, Jesus made it very clear to us. You put old wine... New wine in an old vessel, and it's going to blow up on you. It's going to crack, and the wine's going to pour out. But if we had to distinguish 
the characteristics of the majority of the vast bride of Christ right now. It's a bunch of old vessels not prepared to receive the capacity of the new wine. Now you say, Pastor, you're being tough. (laughs) Would you like me to read to you what Jesus had to say about it when there was a transfer of the kingdom from John? Or how about John? When he was baptizing in the Jordan, and and that's that Jordan River, and by the way, that was that area, (laughs) that was that area Typical area at the end of of Jordan and in Israel where where Gaza is, that's the area where Israel's dropping leaflets and telling them, get out of the south and go to the north. That's that area. I don't know. You say, Frank, maybe you're being too prophetic. Am I? That's that area. The voices of the Orthodox Jews locked and loaded back in that area. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Messiah. Come, Messiah. Ground zero. Ground zero where the baptism started. With John the Baptist. I'm not making that up. That's a fact. And they would come from the area of Jordan and they would come from the area of Israel. And it was a magnet because it was the time. He didn't have Facebook. He didn't have social media. He didn't even have a denomination. He didn't even own a church. (laughs) He didn't have a phone. He didn't have a computer. He smelled. He was out in the wilderness with a a leather girdle. Oh, boy. And animal skins. He wasn't comely to look at. And he lived as locusts, as meat, it says, and honey. Honey and locusts, a strange dude, man. But he knew a time and place was coming for him. And it was determined from when he was miraculously seated into the womb of his mother, who was barren. And his time came. Now, you'll go crazy trying to figure out all of the chronological timeline of John the Baptist and Jesus and how they overlapped and what happened. You know, and then they, they throw into Justice and, and, and you know, the, the Roman historian. I think he got some stuff wrong because the times don't line up. You know, that's, they always say he's the historian. Well, yeah. We have a lot of historians who rewrote culture here too, don't we? So if he could rewrite culture to please the Romans to sort of squeeze Jesus out of his three and a half years and make it a different time. He wrote it so that John the Baptist died after Jesus. That's not what happened. It appears, the best we could see, that he probably started his time of baptism out in the wilderness in Jordan at the river. You'll see a picture. It was out here. I think it's down for Christmas of myself and Mark Gonzalez baptizing people in the Jordan. That's the, that's the place. And right now, half of it on this side is Israel territory, and the other half is Jordan, and the Jordanian soldiers are right there. And, you know, we went in the water, and we baptized a bunch of people. That was the place. That was the real place. The other place that's down on where they take Christians isn't the real place. It's just nicer 
the water's nicer, the fish don't bite your nibble on your feet, and it's not, you don't stumble going in. That's the place. John likely probably started somewhere in the beginning or the middle of the year 28 B.C. Right in that area. And Jesus was alive, his cousin. They were both a half year apart, so we're told, six months. And in that instance, John began with no following. He was in the middle of a wilderness, nowhere. His father had the rights of a priest. His father was a priest, an ordained priest, which means he came from the lineage of Aaron. In fact, it says that he was the offspring of the daughters of Aaron. Which, ding, 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 how many generations that went. So he had the inherent right as a priest, which means J.B., John the Baptist, had the inherent rights of the priest. But rather than following his religion and taking the comfort level of going into the temple, whose his father's role was to light the incense. We liken that unto worship at the altar. His father was a worshiper. His job wasn't to do anything with the sacrifices. His was to set the way for the Lord to show his presence by lighting incense. And we see that John was birthed out of that miraculously. And if you will, he was prepared and raised for a moment. And I, I can relate and understand him probably for quite a while feeling the knowing there was a tug, knowing there was that the Lord had given him assignment, understanding that it was coming, but, you know, basically we could just understand that he wasn't fit to be a social person. He was a misfit when it came down to his own culture, his own religion. He went out into the wilderness and ate bugs and honey. Didn't even keep the temple. Have you thought about that? God took him out took him out of that religious system. And that's the word we're hearing now. Come out. Come out. I had someone in my office last week that attends a, a church locally, a wonderful fellow and family. Shared some of his testimony. Came through some tough stuff, man. He's got his own little business. He's working hard. You know what he's telling me? He said, you know what? I'm tired of feel-good messages. They don't do anything for me. I smiled. I said, good. He said, what do you mean good? I said, that pablum, it's time for, for the body of Christ to quit taking pablum. Now, some of you don't know what pablum is. That's what they gave little children in my generation. I said, that's because the Lord's got a tug on you, son. He's pulling you. And guess what? it's not going to start tasting better. It's going to taste worse and worse and worse because it's not going to satisfy you because there's something new pouring out. There's a new, new wine that's pouring out upon the earth and God's doing a work inside of people 
And the Spirit's talking to the Spirit. And God is beginning to release the fountain of David for that spirit of, of cleanliness, to clean the fountain of David and Zechariah. And Zechariah opened up, and it's right before the coming of the Messiah. <laughs> but it's, it's old, but it's new. It's old, but it's new. Prepare the way. One. Little one, little three, little seven. Little three, a threefold cord. You see, the cord's broken. It's broken. It's a twofold cord right now. It's the Father, the Son, but the church isn't there. Not the way it's supposed to be. Just like when Jesus came the first time, the Jews weren't there anymore. They had a system. They had religion. They were going through the motions. They were, they, were, they were doing the things that they thought would get them by. Serving more the system than the Lord. <laughs> Today, when I have some young people come and tell me they want to go here or there, or Bible school, or to get trained, I, I, I tell them, don't. Because what happens with here or there is you get regurgitated as to where you went. It blocks the new. It had its purpose, but how's that serving Harvard or Yale or Princeton? Those were all founded as Christian universities. We used to want, boy, if if my kid growing up on a farm in Hubbard or behind the tracks could go to Harvard, oh, I pray none of my grandchildren go to Harvard. Come out of there reprocessed with a mind that is anything but of God or the fear of the Lord. And so what happens is today, a lot of the universities, they turn out the same of what the same was. And, you know, that's good, I'm not knocking it but I am knocking it. Most of the time what's coming out is administrators, turning pastors into administrators who fear their board more than they fear God. What a sad place to be in. Because, and, and I say this with all compassion, because they need a paycheck. They need to pay their families. They need to take care of their families. They need some security. More pastors don't make it than make it. More priests don't make it than make it. And the numbers are getting more and more lopsided. And you know, it's a strange thing to watch somebody who went to Bible school to go back out in the job market. They don't know where they fit. They don't know where they fit. That's why we are called, all of us, we are called to prepare the way for the coming of the Lord and to once again be a threefold cord. Us, the Lord, ourselves, the body, and the Lord. We can't be members. You can't be a membership of an organization that you don't agree with, can you? You know how many people send me something about the Masons? I get something every other week, and they're so passionate about it because their eyes just opened up. 
And then they want me to become passionate about it. And I say, eh, good for you. You go preach that. And it's the same thing. How many of us can become part of a dysfunctional organization that every time we walk in, it makes us sick? I mean, how many of you want to become part of a gay, lesbian club? Not me. I couldn't be part of it. I could love them, but I can't socialize with them. I can't fellowship with them. It's the same thing in the body of Christ. It's hard to fellowship together with people who aren't like-minded, who don't fear the Lord and, in fact, don't fear the Lord at all and are practicing religion at the sake of God. It's hard to fellowship with that. I can't. I crossed that path a long time ago. Ecumenical does not exist in my vocabulary. I don't really want to hold hands with an imam and pray in their mosque. I don't want to sit down with a Buddhist and sound chants that, to their God. I don't want to sit with a misfit Christian, and forgive me, who is practicing sin as part of the culture of the church. I can't do it. But God says there's a whole bunch of people just like that, and he's saying, come out. Come out, come out, come out, come out, come out. And you know what? This PTW anointing, it may start off small, but it's going to grow huge. That's the revival of the body of Christ. Souls forever. The good thing about new souls is you just pray they don't get tainted with religion. <laughs> they, come, they just say, thank you, Jesus. You saved me. You pulled me out. You gave me hope. I see something new. They don't sit and start judging about, but somebody said this and someone said this. I told Sonny the other day, you want to hand stuff out to people that got saved, take, we'll buy more of them, get a New Testament, mark it up for them, put little yellow tabs and start off with the book of John and say, read this first and then go to this and by God, don't give them the book of Job. Just give them a Bible and show them how to find their way in the word of God. Not in the ways of church. And that worked for me. I think it worked for most of you. The raw written word of God. Wow. And guess what? That living word is still working. Still working, yeah. Yeah. Seven, enter into rest. You see, with the prepare the way anointing, <laughs> we realize everything's already accomplished. The Lord is working for us and wanting us to work from there to here. From what has already been destined for us to manifest what's happening here now. The timeless mindset. He was getting us prepared with the timeless mindset to understand that we don't have to be judged and we're not stuck in the things of the present time. But we're beyond that if we can believe that. And our vision, if it's his vision for us and what we're supposed to do, each one of us has 
a separate calling that fits within the members if we're really in fellowship as members. But if we're just dysfunctional and we say, oh, God loves everybody and His grace is so sufficient, it doesn't matter if they deny the Holy Ghost. It doesn't matter if they don't ascribe to a man and woman anymore. It doesn't matter. Gender doesn't matter. God loves everybody. That's not a body with members. That's a dysfunctional, I don't even want to call it a bride. Hmm? I mean, which one of you wants your children to go out and find the most dysfunctional man or woman and marry them? Well, get engaged to them for a while and see if that changes things when you get married, huh? You think Jesus is engaged to a dysfunctional bride? We're preparing the way. We're putting the engagement ring on. Because he's coming back for a bride, beloved, but without spot or wrinkle. And we're the ones. We're the ones in the laundry room. We're the ones who start off repenting here. Because the anecdote to all of that is repentance. That's it. It was then, it is now. If we look in the book of Luke, Now there's, amazingly, the same recount of John the Baptist just puts a little confusion on timelines in the Gospels. But Luke has a pretty good one, starting in chapter 3, and it starts off the first couple verses telling you when it was. And it says in verse 2 that John the son of Zacharias was in the wilderness, and the word of God came unto him. Notice, God put him in a place to receive the word of the anointing. He put him in a place. See, God put me in a place. He put us in, He put you in a place. And I can assume John was out there a while. Like any mama, his mama was probably telling his dad, go get that boy, something's wrong with him. He's not eating good food, he stinks, he smells... Hadn't had a bath, he gets in the water, and he's saying God's talking to him. Anybody ever been there? Yeah, I've been there. Boy, oh boy, tell religious people God's talking to you. See what happens. You just expect them to hug you and love you, want to hear what you have to say. They go say, he needs help. She needs help, something wrong with him. Get him some kind of medicine or something to get that psychosis out of their head. ha. <laughs> He's in the wilderness. And the word of the Lord came to him in the wilderness. And in verse 3, And he came into all the country about Jordan, preaching the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. The baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. And he went about that little northern area, Jordan, where it crosses the border into northern Gaza and part of that area of Judea. That's where he was at, and that's where this war is at. Except Jordan. And he went around preaching a message. To who? To the Jews. He didn't care who it was. I'll guarantee you, he, as an evangelist, he was probably prophesying to olive trees, to rocks. He didn't care what it was. He had a message, and the anointing came forth, and the Lord said, Go preach. Preach a repentance under the remission of sins because 
the Messiah's coming. He didn't even know the Messiah was his cousin who he played with. God didn't let him see the fullness of it, but yet we got a whole bunch of people walking around on the earth today telling you exactly everything. I guess they're a greater prophet than John the Baptist was, but not according to Jesus. He said, the greatest one of them all that you've seen is here before you. He had a clue, but he didn't have all the clues, did he? But he knew the time had come, and God gave him the anointing to preach the repentance and a baptism under the remission of sins. Verse 4, is that is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. And if you enunciate it even more, to make straight a highway in the desert. I saw that vision a long time ago. And it was one of the visions that took me out of the mainstream evangelism. It's the one that made me turn in my credentials where I didn't care anymore about going to, to speak at big conferences and hundreds of thousands of people. I didn't care anymore because I saw that highway vision of lame, naked, bald people crying before the Lord. Souls being lost and they were believers. All I knew was that wasn't for me. So I've been waiting. And so I'm anxious like you, but I'm somewhat excited because that anointing's coming down to prepare the way. And now's the time to preach the remission of sins. Repent for the remission of sins. Yes, preach it to the unsaved, but how about the saved? The biggest reformation we need is the body of Christ. It's in churches. And it needs to start with leadership. And it needs to start with those in control. And I'm going to prophesy, and you're not going to like it. They're either going to bend over to the will of the Lord or they're going to be outside the will of the Lord. It's that time. And you're going to see it happening faster and faster and faster because everything's accelerating. John wasn't, didn't have a long ministry before Jesus came. Mostly a year and a half, maybe two, that he was baptizing with water unto repentance. But then came Jesus who said, to fulfill righteousness, you must baptize me. He didn't need to be baptized for repentance of sin. He did it because he wanted to show an example that nobody was outside of baptism. But his baptism's different. His baptism is not only for the remission of sin, it's to pull us in to the body. It's to be followers of Jesus. It's Jesus is Lord. When they came out of the water with John, it was the fear of the Lord coming back upon them, which is what needs to happen now. And it was to say that God's a righteous God and we need by our works. And what did John preach? He preached fruits. He preached fruits. Your fruits aren't made for righteousness. The Pharisees and Sadducees, they came there was a magnet pulling them, but they couldn't get beyond their mindset. They couldn't be on their culture. They couldn't see the time that they lived in and know what to do with it. And he said to them, you don't belong here. You're vipers. You're sinners. You don't have fruits of righteousness. Well, what are fruits of righteousness? He said, clothe the naked, feed the poor. Don't extract money that you're not supposed to take and pay your wages. 
He was giving them the basics of ethical morality according to the law of God. They didn't like the message. They turned away. But some did. And then came Jesus. It says he was baptizing more than John did. And he was baptizing some of the same people that John did because they stepped from that place to the next place of being baptized with fire. 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 Do you realize that if you're born again, you've been baptized into Jesus, you have fire. Fire. That's why when you're on fire, you don't mix too well in fellowship with that which is not on fire. You can try it for a while. It just doesn't get it. You have to be on fire. Fire people want to be around fire people. Fire people minister in the fire. Fire people end up progenerating fire. Fire people bring forth their own kind. Fire people want more fire. Fire people are never thirsty. Fire people want to go and get some more. It's all there for us, but we have to reach out and get it. We have to seek it. And we have to dare. <laughs> you know, that word conservative, we like it in some aspects, but it's not too good when it comes down to daring Christians. See, conservative says, I'm just going to stay just like I am. It's okay. I'm in my comfort zone. Really? Did Jesus ever have a comfort zone once he started his ministry? How about his disciples? Did they ever have a comfort zone, any of them, when they started their ministry? Huh? Did Jesus have a paycheck? Did his disciples have a paycheck? They had a bunch of mad wives back home. Did they teach their kids trades and vocations? They like titles like a bondservant of the Lord, prisoner of the Lord, fellowship of the sufferings of the Lord. That was their badge of honor. So he's calling us out to make the path straight. Verse 7, John the Baptist said to the multitude, Come forth to be baptized of him, O you generation of vipers who have warned you to flee from the wrath to God. They came. He didn't care. He wasn't worried about passing the basket before they got out of there. They came. He said, you vipers, you're not worthy to be here. You're a brood of vipers. You come as a brood. You're a religion. You're a culture. You're feeding off each other. And then he says, who warned you to flee from the wrath that's coming? Otherwise, he's saying, somehow you got here. Who told you to come? How did you know that something's coming? Next verse. 
Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance and do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. You see, that's where ecumenical religion that's broken all over the place in Christianity falls back. Abraham's, everybody, Father Abraham. The Muslims, Father Abraham. The Christians, Father Abraham. The Jews, Father Abraham. Denominations, Father Abraham. Didn't work with John the Baptist. It was about repentance. It wasn't about your claim to lineage. It wasn't about being a member of anything. It wasn't even about your service to a culture or religion. It's about repentance. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children. Next, next, next. I want to get through this now. And even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore every tree which does not bear, bear fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. That's where we're at. That's where we're at with the PTW anointing. It's about fruits now. It's about fruits. And you say, well, pastor, not works. No, no, don't put works with fruits. Big difference. You can't work your way into favor of God, but you sure can bear fruits into the favor of God. Because whom the much is given, much is required. And if he gives you a talent and you invest it, he'll give you more talents. He'll even take talents from those who aren't doing it because he can trust you to bear more fruits. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. He's going to add everything else to it. We're fruit-bearing trees of God. Next verse. So the people asked him, what shall we do? <laughs> hey, all of a sudden they're convicted. We want to repent. We don't want to be cut down and thrown into a fire of hell. That's what he was telling them. You're going to be damned. Next, he answered and said to them, He who has two tunics, let him give to him who has none. And he who has food, let him do likewise. Next. And the, you tax collectors came to be baptized. And he said to them, Teacher, what shall we do? Boy, tax collectors knew they had some sin problems, right? And he said to them, Collect no more than what is appointed for you. Otherwise, you have a job. I'm not telling you to go against the government. But don't take a penny more. Don't take a bribe. Don't excise more than you're supposed to get. Don't take a percentage of it. And likewise, the soldiers asked him, What shall we do? And he said to them, Do not intimidate anyone or accuse falsely and be content with your wages. Let's stop right there. All kinds of people were coming to the magnet of the anointing. They heard the call, but how many were chosen? How many were willing to repent? How many were willing to dare out of their comfort zones? All we know is it was a big enough crowd that it got the attention of the Pharisees and Sadducees. It even got the favor of Herod. You know that. Herod loved to hear from John, even when he put him in prison. What he did do was he gave into the flesh of the lust to his brother's wife that he stole as his wife, and he had her daughter doing a pornographic dance in front of him, and she said, oh, what would you like? And he said, I'll give you anything you want. And she said what her mother said, give me the head of John the Baptist. He didn't want to do it, but he did it, just like Pilate. And John's time was over, and Jesus's had already begun. There was a baptism that went with repentance unto sin, and then there was a baptism of the fire. Same thing's going to happen here now. You had John, the law and the prophets, and came John baptizing for sin of repentance, remissions. 
And then you had Jesus. Jesus was baptizing. John was baptizing. John's disciples were baptizing. Jesus' disciples were baptizing. And then all of a sudden, it merged into one baptism. And it came time not just to repent, to become members of Jesus' body, to pull people into him. That's where we're at. People can't become a member of the body if they're not cleansed, if they're not holy, if they're not walking holy lives. Mercy is what calls us. Mercy is what kept us from being judged until we're saved. Grace is what sustains us. So when it says saved by grace, that's a process. It means you're saved every day from slipping by the grace of God. But grace isn't what saved you. Mercy saved you. Because you didn't deserve it. I didn't deserve it. We were still sinners. Grace is for the blood-washed believer. Then we can minister in grace. We can receive grace. And we can reach out to those who are still being called in mercy. Righteousness. Righteousness. I'm going to close with this. Just to let you see what we can see. There's a praise the ward, praise, <laughs> there's a prepare the way lens that we look through. It's not like a lens we've had before. What we can see now is different than what we could see before. And what is available for us to see is a different lens than what was shown before because this is a peculiar time in all the earth. It's one that requires a timeless consciousness. It's one that requires the hunger and the thirst and the expectation to have the full revelatory spectrum of the anointing of God at this time. Just going to read a few of these to you. This is what all downloaded to me in that moment when I was timeless last week. I like moments like that. You think a few minutes went away and your eyes open and you're done writing and it's three hours, four hours later. Wow. Timeless consciousness. Just like you mix myrrh and frankincense, the elements of this time are reserved and they're pouring out of vials in heaven. Included, mixed into all of that anointing is overcomer, teaching, miracles, dream, apostolic authority, impartation, shifts, atmosphere, relationship, expectation, protection, harvest of souls, sifting of churches, reformation within the body, turning the hearts of the children of the fathers, reformation, what is embodied in the hearts of children and fathers, open the fountain of David, beginning to spout, revelation and restoration, gross darkness, great glory, new kingdom, worshipers, watchmen, warriors, 
a voice in the wilderness, a congregation from the heavens. Prepare the bride, cleanse the bride. Hosea, Ephesians, crying out for mercy. Prioritize. Acceleration. Quality. I can go on and on, discerning the times. That's a third of them that he compressed inside of me. And then the realization came to me. I have studied, taught, written on every one of those. And now all of a sudden it all comes together like a totally mixed salad for this time. It's the same for you and me. We're a very privileged group of people that God has called for such a time as this. But each and every one of us has to decide what shall we do? What shall we do? Whose report shall we believe? So, I don't know. I have no idea what some of the different parts of this series are. I just know it has to be a series because it's sort of connecting the same things. I'd asked for a uh, graphic this morning of a human chain. Do we have that? We can put the lights down and see it real quick. This is how I envision the prepare the way anointing, affecting the body of Christ. We'll wait a minute while Tyler pulls it up. You see the hands? You know, as we watch the over the border, many times you'll see him trying to cross the river, holding hands. I don't know about you, I don't get angry with that. I feel for those people. It's not their fault. Trying to keep their children from being washed away, the old ladies, the old men, they hold hands to make it to the other side, they hope. And if you've ever watched it, sometimes that line gets broken and somebody's going away and then they close the ranks real quick. Prepare the way anointing is us joining hands, finding and seeking and being joined with those of like mind to prepare the way for the coming of the Lord. Those who are willing to baptize in the repentance and the remission of sins. Those who are willing to say, we'll seek the kingdom first, Lord, I don't know where this is going, but let's go. That's what I see. That's my prayer. It's my heart. That's how I see the kingdom work on earth. Right there. Right there. Okay, thank you.